Welcome to Mytholadies, the podcast where we talk about women from mythology and folklore all over the world. We're your hosts. I'm Lizzie. And I'm Zoe. Lindsay, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. I had to fly back to the Netherlands for school purposes, so that was interesting because of COVID, mm-hmm. but I'm happy to be back now. Yeah, yeah. How was the jet lag uh, going and everything? It was pretty bad at first because I did like nothing the first few days, but it's okay now. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that. How are you? I'm okay. Um, It's been a bit of a crazy week. Uh, My town had a pretty big election and the results were pretty heavily mixed, but... Not what you were hoping for. Yeah, not exactly what I was hoping for, but some good things did happen. Um, So, you know, we're just trying to figure out like what to do from here and just keep going forward. And that's just what I'm trying to do right now. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. So Lizzie, you did the research this week, so who are we going to be talking about? So today we're going to be talking about the Pontianat, who is a female vampire from Malay and Indonesian folklore. Ooh, awesome. Had you heard about her before? I think I recognized the name from when I was looking through a bunch of the also Wikipedia articles looking at various (laughs) ladies for the podcast, but... I don't remember any details, really. I just remember vague, like, vampire stuff. So I'm excited. Yeah. Well, okay. So like I said, she's a female vampire. She's also called the Kuntilanat or the Sundel Bolong. So she is often shown in Malay horror films, killing prey by sucking blood from their necks like a vampire. Mm-hmm. She is depicted in dozens of movies and TV shows and also a few video games, mostly in Malaysia and Indonesia also to a lesser extent in Singapore and Hong Kong. Awesome. The Malay film industry began to make movies about the Pontiana in the 50s and 60s. And then there was a 30-year period where there was a government ban on depictions of horror in Malaysian cinema. Mm. But after it ended in the first decade of the 21st century, people again began to make movies about her. Wow. So it sounds like she's a really like significant cultural figure if they've been making movies about her for that long. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I There are many many movies about her. Awesome. So for a very general overview of the Pontiana before we go in depth about her story, she is believed to be the soul of a woman who died during childbirth, who is a vampire who appears at night, sometimes accompanied by a baby. She has long hair and wears white robes and is typically seen at the side of the road or under a tree. Very spooky. Very. And she typically (laughs) appears as a young and beautiful woman to attract male victims, but then she transforms into an ugly and old woman with sharp teeth. Mm. And she sucks blood and feeds on intestines. Ooh, very fun. Very. So there's also a city in Indonesia called Pontianat, which was named after the creature. Huh. Yeah. Okay. I thought it was yeah. really interesting when I learned that. Yeah. Yeah. Like normally when you have a creature that seems to be very like threatening and scary, like this creature, I would assume you probably wouldn't want to like invoke the name that much. Yeah, you'd want to avoid the associations. Yeah. So it's interesting that the city is named after her. Yeah. We'll talk about it a bit more later. Okay. So Awesome. Yeah, so first, some etymology. 
So the Anna at the end of Pontiana and Kutilana means child. Um, I have read some conflicting etymologies from a few different sources. One said that the meaning of Ponti in Pontiana was unknown, but I also read another that said that it's short for Perempuan Mati Beranat, which means woman who died during childbirth in Malay. Okay. And another one that said that her name comes from the Malay Pohontingi, meaning high tree, reference to the Pontianat's habitat. And then I couldn't find an etymology for Kuntilanat. And for the other variant, Sundel Bolang, Sundel means prostitute and Bolang means whole in Japanese. And this will become clear the reason as to this later. Okay. Yeah. The Pontiana is quite well known in Malaysia and throughout Malay-speaking Muslim groups, which also includes Indonesia, Singapore, and Brunei, as well as the southern parts of the Philippines and Thailand. So something to stress is that in Malay culture, unlike in Western culture, ghost stories such as the story of the Pontiana aren't some sort of fairy tale that is told to scare people. Charita hantu, or ghost stories, are very real and have actual effects on people and on society. Awesome, yeah. The most common narrative of the Pontiana is basically the version I told earlier. She is a female vampire who either sucks the blood of humans or tears out their organs and then feeds on the blood that comes from the wound. Ooh, okay. Yeah, I thought that was pretty fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Multiple methods. She just, yeah. she just wants blood. And it's also like in the Philippines, in our Vampiric Woman episode, we talked about there was both the Aswang, there was like a blood sucker and a viscera sucker. Yeah, exactly. Like sort of both in one. Yeah, true. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she died during childbirth and is distinctive from her fangs, the scar marks on her face, long black hair, and white clothing. She's also known for the sounds she makes when she's in the vicinity. When she's nearby, she makes loud shrieking noises and unsettling laughter. That's horrifying. Oh my gosh. Definitely. Yeah, you'd be quite frightened to hear that, I think. Yeah. Oh gosh. Like, those are like some of the, like, the, literally the scariest sounds ever. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Whew. Okay. I also read in one source that her most preferred victim is a newborn baby and that she kills pregnant women and eats the fetus. Mm, okay. Um, I, I also sort of read and also sort of caught from sources that she prefers, her preferred victims are men and pregnant women. So not women that aren't pregnant, just pregnant women. Huh, okay. And men. Okay. Which, fair enough, most of the demon ladies prefer killing men, so. Yes, um, yeah. <laughs> Definitely have a lot of thoughts about that, but... Um. <laughs> in addition to that, uh, she can appear in her human form often to lure victims, but she can also be returned to her human form if you stick a nail in the nape of her neck. Hmm. In some versions, she has a hole in the back of her neck specifically for this purpose. Oh, so th- th- that's where the hole part comes in. Yeah, then. yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it seems like a bit hard to do, though. I feel like it would be hard for even a regular person to stick a hole in the back of their neck. Yeah, well, it seems like it's a very precise thing you have to be able to do, and I'm guessing yeah, that's it's probably uh, very difficult. They d- don't want you to do it, so they're definitely going to be fighting against you. Yeah. But it also does sound like, you know, like a horror movie monster weakness, you know, like... Oh, yeah, true. <laughs> so when she's in human mode, she typifies the ideal behavior from a woman. She is beautiful and docile and makes a perfect wife and mother. The person who pierced her with the nail owns her and she is submissive to them. Wow. She is thus trapped in servitude and cannot explicitly ask anyone to remove the nail for her. And if the nail should be removed, she would return to being a Pontiana. Wow, that is very interesting. Yeah, so she definitely wants the nail to be removed. She just can't ask anyone 
to do so. And that's like very freaky that she's just under the control of the person who I know. puts the nail in. Yeah. It's crazy. And if you're like that person who puts the nail in, you both get rid of a scary monster and you have a new servant. Yeah. So it's very frightening. Very interesting. Yeah. Although I don't know if I, I feel like if I were to do that, um, which I probably wouldn't, but still, yeah. I would not want a Pontianat near me, even if she was mm-hmm. in her human form. Yeah. It's a bit scary, but. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like, yeah, mm-hmm. there's always the risk that something might happen to take the nail out. And then you're going to be the first victim because exactly. they're going to want to get you. Mm-hmm. And it's said that whenever a woman dies from childbirth, she risks becoming a Pontiana. But there are ways to prevent this. People can put glass beads in the woman's mouth after she dies so that she can't shriek, and put eggs under her arms and needles into her palms and joints so that she can't fly. And then she won't become a Pontiana. Uh, okay, yeah. I think the glass beads thing is really interesting because, like, you know, when I first think here, you think like, oh, so she can't suck blood or whatever. But it's because it's to stop her from shrieking. And that makes it seem like, you know, considering what the essential characteristics are to become a Fontiana, like the shrieking is apparently like such a really integral part and you can't be one without the ability to shriek. And I think that's just very interesting. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's not about restricting her, or, like, calming her soul or whatever, so she doesn't become a resentful spirit or whatever. It's more about, like, restricting her abilities. Yeah, and then it's, like, if you die in childbirth, can you become another spirit if you just can't shriek? Like, True. I have no idea, though. I don't know. That's fine, yeah. (laughs) Also, she's believed to live in rural areas and avoid the cities. She prefers the forest and specifically banana trees, and artificial lights and electric sounds frighten her. Oh, so do you mean she likes banana trees? Yeah, she likes banana trees. Okay, cool. That makes sense. Those are big leaves. This depiction of Pontiana is the most commonly told version in media, especially horror movies. There is, however, a lesser told version that concerns the founding of the capital city of West Kalimantan in Indonesia, which is called Pontiana. Mm. So, Pontiana is a city on the west coast of Borneo, which as of 2019 had a population of about 64,000 people. The city was founded in 1771 by Sayar of Abdurrahim. He was a nobleman of Arab descent and was given this land near the delta of the Kapuas River, which was an important trading route. Mm-hmm. However, this land was also home to many pirates, and part of the reason why Sayar of Abdurrahim was given this land was to establish it as a fortress to protect against the pirates. Mm. Which is not vital to the story, but I thought it was pretty fun. Yeah. Love some good pirates. Exactly. Um, the area was made up of swampland and a dense jungle. The area was also home to many Pontianat spirits, which frightened the people who were arriving by boat. Mm. So, as a way to get rid of these ghosts, Sarif Abdurrahim fired cannons to, like, mm. scare them away or whatever. And once the ghosts were evicted, Sayar Abdurrahim built a mosque and a palace from the wood of the trees that the Pontiana used as their home. Huh. Right on top of where their ghost's nest was. Wow. And these were the first two buildings in Pontiana. Interesting. Very. I think that's really cool because in most Western depictions of vampires based on, like, Stoker's Dracula, etc., we see a lot of Christian imagery propelling vampires and we talked a little bit about like seeing other religion imagery repelling vampires in our vampiric woman episode, episode seven, with the striga. Yeah, in Albania. Yeah, who like could be repelled by some symbols of Islam. And here we also have some other Muslim symbols which are built to repel spirits and vampires, which I think is really cool. Definitely. I also think it's cool. Yeah, yeah it's exciting to see more of that. 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so today a cannon can still be found in Pontianath Riverside. There apparently used to be an annual event celebrating the founding of the city where the cannon will be fired, but during the new order, the festival and the cannon disappeared. Mm. But the cannon was brought back uh, in recent years as a sort of revitalization of traditional Malayhood. I must say, I didn't really find a proper motivation for why they decided to name the city after the terrifying ghosts that were haunting it, but I suppose it was a symbol of their victory. Yeah, that was sort of my thought as well, is like some sort of defiance or like brag thing that's like, we defeated these creatures and now we're going to like name our city after our victory or something like that. Yeah, basically. Yeah, that's fun. Yeah, it's definitely really interesting because you definitely have a lot of like mythological place names, but less so like scary ghosts from Mm -hmm. folklore. Yeah, definitely. And it's also interesting because you said that like she doesn't really like cities. So it's interesting that they named the city after her. It's sort of like, almost like a taunt in a way that's like ha we're the city and you don't like us and we defeated you so like and you can't do anything about it true also in 2017 the head of the department of youth sport and tourism proposed building a 100 meter high statue of the Pontiana beside the Kapuas river in order to attract tourists people didn't really go with his idea because they found it to be frightening yeah that's a huge statue oh my gosh literally 100 meters is so big it's so big. Oh my gosh. Like maybe like a little tiny statue, a little mermaid uh, Copenhagen yeah, statue exactly. or something like that. But 100 meters, that's so big. That just that just seems like uh, bad energy or something. Like. Exactly. I mean, I feel like I also wouldn't go for it if I was one of them. I mean, it does sound kind of scary. Yeah. But it's a fun idea. Yeah, like if it was a positive spirit, I'd be like, sure. But if it was, if it's like the spirit that's just this dangerous, it's like, Maybe we should not build a giant monument to them. Also, it's scary know. looking as well. So that yeah, would just be like something you'd have to look at all the time. Yeah, and it's huge. Yeah, that's literally yeah. so big. <laughs> Yeah, but I guess it's an interesting idea. For sure. Also, the Pontiana fits into religious narratives. The Pontiana can fit into a category of ghosts mentioned in the Quran called Jin Hafaf. These are ghosts that are hostile to humans, but can be kept at bay by praying. I also read that the sound of prayer calls can dispel a Pontiana. Awesome. Yeah. So yeah. Again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Very cool. Yeah, more of the Muslim symbolism and prayer used to dispel vampires, which mm-hmm. is very cool. Definitely. There are also stories where the Pontiana can turn into a bird when she needs to travel long distances. A source I read emphasized her closeness to nature, emphasized by the fact that she has a hard time living in cities. While the fact that a ghost would prefer the countryside isn't really a shock, I do find it interesting because of something that was written in one of my sources, which was Kuntilana Ghost Narratives and Malay Modernity in Pontiana, Indonesia by Timo Duila, which said, Here again, the journey to a remote place far from civilization is a journey to the world inhabited by Kuntilana and to the trauma of urban modern society. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. And actually, like when I was hearing you talk about how she doesn't like bright lights or loud industrial sounds I sort of thought it was definitely reflected some like ideas and attitudes about industrialization and modernity and like the frightening aspects of it 
And yeah. so I think that's really interesting that she reflects that. But it's also like the fact that she is a dangerous spirit outside of the city. And it, so it sort of shows that tension where it's like a lot of the time, like if you're in the city, that's like a safer place to be because you're around other people. But also there's a lot in the city that's uncomfortable and that makes life scary or like uncertain. And so like there's the tension where it's like there's some not safety in the city and not safety outside the city. And it's just interesting. Yeah, definitely. I agree. And I mean, like stories of like creatures who are outside the city or like civilization in like the woods or whatever have been around for so long and, and in so many cultures and I just think it's like I just think it's interesting that like I always like to see it I just think it's a really interesting reflection of like human ideas that like if you go away from humans into the woods or whatever there's something horrible waiting for you yeah <laughs> very fun yeah and I also find it interesting in light of the story of the founding of Pontiana, where the uninhabited area was an untamed swampland and jungle that ran amok with Pontiana's spirits, where the triumph of settling the area was marked by defeating the ghosts and constructing buildings on the land. And in general, I find the theme of like escape to nature interesting, and maybe even more so in this context, like for the spirits that lived in Pontiana before it was settled, they were allowed total freedom over the land, living in tall trees and doing what they wanted, and then they were evicted by settlers. And then there is the fact that the Pontiana living in cities and prefer the countryside and like Timoduila said they wanted to escape the trauma of urban modern society. So I think the connection that the Pontiana has with nature is quite fascinating and the way it rejects modern society in favor of sparsely populated lands full of nature and how her connection to nature is associated with freedom and being unrestrained. Mm -hmm. And then I also think in the context of the settlement of the area is interesting because a lot of the time there's the idea that if you take uninhabited land and bring humans to it, you know, that's the good thing, you know, like civilization is good, bringing people there is good, like people living there is good. But then there are a lot of consequences to that, like, you know, environmental consequences are a huge one. And it feels like that could sort of be reflected in that story. You know, they built the city and they took control of the land and they drove out the spirits. And like, that's generally like seen as a good thing because obviously the spirits are very frightening and you don't want them near you. But also there's other things to consider when you like are settling a new place and continuing to like build and expand on like human settlements and stuff and like how that's going to affect the world around you. Yeah. And it's not always going to be in a good way. Yeah. I also think it's a really interesting theme in the story with Pontiana. Mm -hmm. And I think you're really right. And it's, yeah, quite fascinating. Another thing I read is that Sayarif Abdurahim didn't actually kill the Pontiana, but rather sent them to another place. Hmm. They weren't after, or at least they weren't actively trying to kill them, probably. They just wanted them not near them, mm. I guess. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. I mean, my thought was also, like, when I heard it was probably, like, maybe they just couldn't kill them, and so, like, just driving them away was obviously the best decision. Like, they just needed them out. Mm -hmm. So, like, that was what they chose to do. And it's also interesting that the cannon drove them away, because that's, like, very, mm -hmm. I don't know, like, you know, civilization, war... All that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah, it's very much like, like you said, the loud electrical noises frighten them. And so it's like, yeah, the cannon, like, obviously, we're not at electricity yet in the 1700s, but like, it is a sign of advancement in technology. And it's also quite loud. So it makes sense that they would be upset and disturbed by this and want to get away. Yeah. Or as Timoduila says, unlike Western modernity, this narrative of Malay modernity did not seek to eradicate the concept of ghosts. Disenchantment only took place insofar as the ghost was evicted to another place, that is, the localized other of the coastal town, the jungle of the interior of Borneo, as a place of nature and the uncivilized. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. 
I think that's super interesting. Mm -hmm. However, even though she has been evicted and Pontiana is considered to be a safe place, there is also the threat of her return. Mm. So people don't leave laundry on clotheslines at night so as not to attract the Pontiana's attention. It's also believed that even talking about her may make her appear. Mm. Well, so then again, the name of the city. But... Yeah, you have to wonder. But um... maybe that they understand context really well. Like, yeah, know <laughs> if you're talking about the city or something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that's really interesting, like, considering what you just said, that quote about Malay modernity versus Western modernity, and like, how even though like, the ghosts aren't dead, the ghosts haven't been like, killed by civilization, and they're still very much present alongside civilization. And that's just shown by all like, the practices they have to keep themselves safe. And I think that's really cool. Yeah. And um, people also leave a light on at the front of their homes in order to keep her away. So the Pontiana is also similar to several other figures. There's another female vampire from Malaysia and Indonesia called the Longsuir, who is also the ghost of a woman who died during childbirth. So I don't know the difference. Um, I think the Longsuir wears green instead of white. Mm -hmm. But other than that, I don't know. But supposedly there's a difference. Okay. So there's also the legend of the Churel in India, Bangladesh, and Pakistan, who also died from childbirth and dwells in trees. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Uh, Cheryl can also die at the hands of her in-laws, in which case she typically comes back and haunts particularly the men of the family. Ooh, very cool. Yeah, and I also mentioned that before that she can be referred to as the Sundal Bolong. The difference between the Pontiana and the Sundal Bolong is that the Sundal Bolong is specifically associated with sex workers. Mm-hmm. That's the name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes sense. So, what are your overall thoughts on her? Well, I think she's great. I really love learning about um, new, like, sort of vampiric lady myths and stories. And I think that it's especially fun to learn about stories that are, like, just so opposite and different from stories like, again, Dracula. Like, I bring it up a lot, but it really influenced Western ideas of vampires so much. And, like, there's so many other ideas of vampires that are honestly a lot more interesting and fun to me. Yeah. I think it was really interesting you said that she had a baby with her at times. Yeah, I hear that in some sources, but not others. I don't know. Because yeah. I don't know, like, if she dies from childbirth, what happens to the baby? I have no idea. Yeah. I mean, I think that's really fun and very creepy. Like, little baby vampire, you know, that's true. Sort of <laughs> like you in know. Twilight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And then I do like how, like, sort of, you know, like, bloody and graphic the story is. Like, she's sucking their blood, she's ripping out their intestines. Like, go, girl power. Like, love that for her. Exactly. Um, <laughs> You know, I think it's fun. I think it's great. I think we should just let her do what she wants. Yeah, like, don't stick the pin in the back of her neck. That's rude. Don't, like, control her. That's creepy and messed up. Like, no. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. I do, like, have a lot of thoughts about, like, we say this every time we talk about women like this. Yeah. Like, female spirits like this who are, you know, demonic and, like, appears like beautiful women who then attack men. Again, the commentary on men's fear of female sexuality and basically the idea of what will happen if women are not submissive to them and how it becomes like this great fear. I also think it's especially interesting in the context of a few things. Firstly, of course, the pin thing. 
Mm-hmm. And the fact that if a Ponciana gets a pin and it has to become like the perfect female obedient wife and that's like the opposite of what a Ponciana is. And I think that just really shows how like the Ponciana is this idea of uncontrollable female spirit. And then like the only way is to get rid of her, to change her, is to control her entirely, which is very frightening and very interesting. Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, the childbirth thing is very interesting as well. You know, a lot of times there are ideas that spirits become vampires if they die in tragic or unnatural ways, like through murder or suicide. So I think adding childbirth to the mix is interesting. And I think there's sort of like an idea of the corruption of women's true role in childbirth. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. Like they didn't bring a child to life or whatever, and they died. And so now they're this evil spirit or something is interesting because, you know, it's not a woman's fault if she dies in childbirth like so she shouldn't be punished by yeah of course it's nobody's fault really yeah probably depends i guess yeah for me i was sort of thinking like it just means like take care of pregnant women extra good so that they don't become demons and stuff but i do like that interpretation i like that a lot i like yours it's great (laughs) yeah you know it's sort of the thing is when there exists a monster the question is always what's viewed as a monster and like yeah the idea is that if a woman dies in childbirth then she becomes a monster like there's a question yeah definitely yeah we've got to think about why that idea is there you know yeah and it must be like extra scary to like go through childbirth knowing that that could happen to you yeah like it's not only that you could die but then you become this vampiric creature that's going around killing other pregnant women like yeah and then like it also sort of seems like Going back to what you said about, like, you know, protecting pregnant women and treating them extra well so they don't turn into demons. I think that could also be reflected in the fact that, like, one of her main victims are pregnant women. Is like, you've got to protect pregnant women to make sure they aren't attacked by this creature, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I feel like one of the things that makes the Pontiana so fascinating is how rich her story is thematically. Like, Mm -hmm. firstly, we have the classic figure of the female ghost who dies in a horrible way and then seeks revenge and kills people. Mm Mm-hmm. We've talked about figures like this before and definitely will again. Mm-hmm. And this by itself is already a super fascinating story archetype, made even more interesting by how commonly we see it among world cultures. We've seen this already on the podcast in like Central America and in North Africa, um, Japan, which I mean, those are all very different places. So that's pretty interesting mm-hmm. that it's like so widespread. Absolutely. And I mean, they're all great. I think they're all amazing. Secondly, we have another depiction of a vampiric woman, like in episode seven. This is obviously a super fascinating archetype as well. And I also think it's really interesting that she doesn't just suck blood from people's necks, but also rips out their organs in order to drain blood from their abdomen. Like she just wants blood. Yeah. You know, I couldn't, I don't know if she needs the blood to survive because I mean, she's already dead. But um, maybe she just likes drinking blood, which is pretty cool, I think. Thirdly, we have a depiction of a woman whose grief and sorrow turns her into a monster. Mm. It seems that just any woman who dies from childbirth can become a Pontiana. And then she's forced to roam the earth forever in grief about it, which we said already, like, that's... A horrifying prospect. Mm -hmm. Fourthly, you have the theme where a young woman is beautiful and appealing, whereas an old woman is ugly and horrifying. Yeah, yeah, I definitely saw that. Which we've also talked about before. Mm -hmm. And this is also a pretty widespread theme in folklore Mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. Also, there's the fact that the entire story of the Pontiana represents many dualities. She can be either young or old, beautiful or ugly, powerless or powerful. It's also the dual symbolism of both birth and 
deconstruction. Mm, yeah. She represents two different ways of being a woman. There is her human version, which is controlled and submissive, and then there's her ghost version, who is uncontrolled and untamed. The first version is characterized by how she... <laughs> I was trying to <laughs> put the word untamed in as many times as I could. Um, it was like two or three times, so. Ooh. <laughs> okay. Anyway. <laughs> um, good show. The first version is characterized by how she serves others as a wife. I can't say that while smiling. The first version is characterized by how she serves others as a wife, mother, or daughter, while the second is characterized by how she does not conform to these roles and instead has complete freedom. Mm. There's also another layer to this dichotomy by the fact that you want Pontiana to be in her human form. It feels like that she should be controlled by the nail on the back of her neck to prevent any harm from coming to people. Mm -hmm. Because in her uncontrolled state, she's potentially lethal. So just in general, there's sort of this idea of like a woman should be docile and tame, and that a woman having power and freedom is undesirable. Yeah. The filmmaker Amanda Nell Yu made a short film in 2017 called It's Easier to Raise Cattle, about a friendship between two girls where one of them is revealed to be a Pontiana. Ooh. Yeah, sounds pretty fun. She said about the Pontiana, like in an interview, she can can walk alone and not have to be accompanied by a man. She can be as beautiful and as provocative as she wants. She can be extremely gentle or a massive flirt. But if you dare touch her without her consent, her claws will come out. Yeah, definitely. Like the use of the vampire myth in that way, or vampire stories in that way, is so cool. And there's in a way something desirable about having total autonomy and agency. Yeah, yeah. Like and it's like you know well, the movie Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. It's yeah, like yeah. Similar idea, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's something to be said about the fact that even though she's a murderous vampire who instills fear in people, she is allowed to have more freedom and agency than an ordinary woman. Mm -hmm. Obviously, it would never be desirable to become a blood thirsty ghost who kills people but I do think it's an interesting commentary on the fact that ordinary women have to be controlled and even subservient mm -hmm. whereas monster women get to have complete freedom and do as they please yeah and there's also the connection with her freedom to like being close to nature which we talked about already but that's also mm -hmm. another layer there which is super interesting yeah and that's sort of like the, you know the appeal of monster women in general right like yeah you know, that's one of the things we find so interesting about them it's like the way that they're able to be free and not be restricted by societal ideas patriarchal ideas yeah exactly and sometimes actively fight back against them in their own way no matter how like potentially problematic it might be yeah i mean like they kill people but it's like pretty cool because they can just do what they want and they aren't exactly yeah they aren't held back by anything and that's that's quite desirable in a way. And in the situations you're they're in, they're the ones with the power. Yeah. There's also the sort of satisfying thing about how most monster women have quite tragic backstories and they can go and get revenge and mm -hmm. yeah. So that's also really fun. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you enjoyed it, please make sure to subscribe, leave a review, tell all your friends how much you enjoyed it, and we'll see you in two weeks with our next episode. Thank you. Thank you. Goodbye. The Ladies Podcast is produced by Elizabeth LaCroix and Zoe Kenninger. Today's episode was researched and presented by Elizabeth LaCroix. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at MythoLadies and visit us on our website at MythoLadies.com. Our cover art is by Helena Cayo. Our music was written and performed by Icarus Tyree. Thank you for listening. See you next time.